Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I want to tell you about an exciting event that we have every year for the almost the last 17 years, I believe, and that's the School of the Prophets. Bob Jones prophesied many years ago that Bethel Church would be one of three eagles' nests where we would train, equip, and deploy prophets into the four corners of the earth. And I want to invite you to this event. It's August 2nd through the 6th, four full days. It's on campus and online. You can find more information and register now at Bethel.events. But I want to tell you about it for just a few minutes. Several of you have this call to be a prophet or prophetess, or maybe you're a very prophetic person, and yet you've had no equipping, no skill training. You don't have a prophetic community. You don't really know what to do with the gift that you have. This school is for you. This school is for the pastors that would like to send their prophets and prophetesses and prophetic people to learn how to build a prophetic community. This is for people that are called to the seven mountains of society and bringing the prophetic ministry there. You're going to love it. Check it out. You're going to, we're going to have the essentials online so you can actually learn all the basic principles online. The day you sign up, you'll have the essentials course, and you'll learn that before you come to the school and I think you're going to learn a lot. You're going, to, you're going to make great connections. And you're also going to be deployed into your place of purpose and destiny. God bless you. See you there. Um, this morning, I want to talk about courage. And I don't know that this is so much of a teaching as it is an exhortation in that I look at my notes and think there's nothing on this. There's nothing in my notes that you haven't heard before. And sometimes, you know, when Jesus comes along and he says, you know, throw the nets on the other side, sometimes it's not new revelation, but it's just doing the same thing you know again that really makes a difference. And we've been praying uh, and together with, by Bill's direction, just really feeling like we're to go back to some of the things we've taught and to reinforce those foundations. And actually, I had, uh, I had prepared a message on hope. And last night, as, I was going, as we were driving home from dinner, I felt the Lord say, I want you to talk about courage. And so uh, I want to talk about courage today. And I want to first of all say, fear is not your friend. And so many people reduce their life to accommodate their fear. And, uh, I, you know, some, I hear people say things like, I've prayed over people when you can feel fear on people. And by the way, I've been afraid lots of times, so this is not an accusation. But sometimes you engage people's spirit and you're like, wow, I, I sense fear. And you say, what are you afraid of? And they're like, I'm not afraid of nothing. And there's nothing I'm afraid of. And you know, if you, for example, if you're afraid to fly and you never get on a plane, you don't, fear, you don't feel the, the emotion of fear because you reduced your life to accommodate it. So oftentimes when we talk about fear, we're talking about the emotional feeling of fear and not the actual practical part of the fact that I don't feel afraid because I actually have reduced my life so that I don't have the feeling of fear, but I'm actually keep reducing my life till someday I'm sitting in a corner, you know, staring at my navel. And I want to tell you that the dogs of doom stand at the doors of destiny, Let me say that again. The dogs of doom actually stand at the doors of destiny. Like, and most people don't come into their destiny because the dogs start barking when you get close. It's a metaphor. And what I'm getting at is instead of pushing in, instead of pressing past the dogs of doom, we actually back up and we we reduce ourselves to being comfortable instead of being 
fruitful. And, and today I want to talk about courage. If you'll turn to Joshua chapter 1, uh, it's hard to talk about courage without at least referencing Joshua. Um, Moses, uh, Moses has just died, or at least the news has just got to Joshua. Moses is the most famous leader at the time, and maybe one of the most famous leaders in the history of the world, but definitely in the history of Israel. He is, he's described as a man, he's described as one of three men in the Old Testament who were friends of God. And the, and it's said of Moses that he spoke to God as a man speaks to his friend. He spoke to God face to face, or in one translation it says mouth to mouth. This is the man who's just died. You can imagine that God gave Moses the task of taking the people from Egypt to the promised land. And this man, this famous general, this great revivalist, this friend of God, this man who moved in signs and wonders and miracles, this man who God used to, to, to part the Red Sea, to cause plagues on, on Egypt, this man failed his ultimate goal of getting the people from Egypt all the way to the promised land. And now God says to Joshua, listen, the way I was with Moses, I will be with you. And if I'm Josh, I'm like, and he failed. <laughs> and so I, I love this chapter because in the context of Joshua's life, he had to be terrified. God has just told J Joshua, Moses is dead. And now before there's even time to mourn his death, he says to him, and I've appointed you to lead the people. And you can imagine that can't be great news. And I want to just go down to verse 6 and just read some of the instructions. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. I want to stop and make a comment here. Sometimes it's easier to have courage when you realize that your courage isn't for you, but it's for the people that you're supposed to be a catalyst to their destiny. I, I, sometimes it's easy to cower when it only affects me. But I want to point out that you have, that you're not living for you. That you're actually living for other people. That you're actually not, as a matter of fact, when you, when your purpose in life is to fulfill your destiny and it's all about you and your destiny doesn't include the destiny of other people, you don't even have God's purpose in mind. Because the goal is to lay down our lives for other people. And sometimes we get so, if you will, self centered that we forget that when I don't have courage, I'm actually, way, I'm actually taking away the, the promise of someone else's land because I am a catalyst to other people's destiny. Joshua, I need you to be strong and courageous. Why? Because I promised those people promised land. I promised them land. And by the way, without you being strong, they're not going to get their land. And I'd like to point out that God can do anything by himself, but he seldom does. He often has an Esther. Come on. He often has a Barnabas. He often has a Peter. He often has a David. He often has a Joshua. He often has somebody who is a catalyst to the breakthrough of other people's promised land. I have a dream. No, I'm not Martin Luther King, but I have one too. And that dream is to raise up a company of courageous people that will fulfill their divine destiny, whatever that is. Because together, if you feel your destiny, and you feel your destiny, and you feel your destiny, together the kingdom is going to come in a way that God had planned. I don't have 
the luxury of being afraid in the midst of the fact that my fear is keeping you from your promised land. Good point, Chris. Next verse. Ready? Only be strong and very courageous. Well, where did we hear that from? The previous verse. Be careful to do all according to the law which Moses, my servant, had commanded you. Don't turn from the right or left that you may have success wherever you go. That you may have success wherever you go. I want to point out that we don't just need courage. We need virtues. I mean, bank robbers are courageous. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Some people are like, they're so courageous. You're like, I need you to be less courageous and more respectful. Think social media. I don't know. I'm going to say what I feel. I'm like, and I'm going to ban you to purgatory. (laughs) This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then, listen to this, I love this, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I, I thought it's just powerful. Now, um, we didn't read some of the previous verses where God said that he's going to make Joshua successful. But I love this one, these verses, because it emphasizes in these verses that Joshua actually has a responsibility to make himself prosperous. Now, you remember, God already defined prosperity for Joshua. Joshua, you're going to be prosperous and successful. And how are you going to measure success? By making sure they get their, their promised land. How I many you know, when my success isn't attached to other, pe- other people being successful, how I many you know, that's not God's plan? I, 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 just, I just love this part that we have to have courage so that other people can actually have courage. So other people can actually have the plan of God fulfilled in their life. You know, sometimes when we think of courage, we think of the emotion of, yes, I'm so bold. And people say things to us like, you are fearless. The only fearless people I've ever known are all mentally ill. <laughs> you know, you've met some of them, right? You're like, you're crazy. I don't think courage is the absence of fear. I think it's the presence of perseverance. I think courage is what happens when fear says its prayers. I don't think it's that I don't feel the emotion of fear. It's that I don't let it tell me what to do. I think there's something about, in fact, let me just say it this way. Joyce Myers wrote a book. Her son sent it to me. We've gotten to be good friends. And the title of the book, I haven't read the book yet, but the title of the book does it for me. It's called Do It Afraid. I'm afraid. Do it anyway. The students often come to us and ask us questions about ministry, and they're like, I feel like God's called me to preach, but I I just feel so anxious and and nervous when I'm in front of people. Like, do you have that? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, Let me tell you about my preaching. (laughs) For 17 years, we had a home group at my house. For 15 years, I was late. (laughs) I was home, but I was in the bathroom, sick for 15 years, and the group was 30 people. Yes, I was physically ill every Wednesday night for 15 years because I was leading 30 people. So when the students say, I'm nervous in front of people, like, have you ever had that happen, and when is it gonna go away? I don't really wanna say, like, somewhere around 15 years. (laughs) Like, just because you're anointed for it, doesn't mean you aren't afraid of it. 
As a matter of fact, I would, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna take this back and we're streaming, but like, I would say the two ways to know what you're supposed to be doing is what do you love and what are you afraid of? What do you love and what are you afraid of? We wrote down uh, years ago, I mean, for, for the last several years, I always do this exercise with the students and I say, okay, take out a piece of paper or your phone, someplace to record something, and I wanna ask you two questions. What would you do if you were 10 times bolder? And what would you do if money's no object? And we take about 10 to 15 minutes and I say, I don't want you to answer, I want you to pray, then I want you to write down what God tells you. And they do that, and at the end of, the, of that session, I say, look at what you wrote down, that's what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> and if you're doing anything less, Fear has reduced you. If you write down, if I was 10 times bolder, I would do this, and you're not doing that, think about it. Guess what's reduced you? And I'm saying, do you want a reduced? Do you want to live a reduced life? I mean, are, you think on your deathbed, are you going to say, gosh, I wish I took less risks? <laughs> not likely. Anyway, okay, I thought it was better than your response, but it's still good. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb were the only two people who actually heard the prophecy that God's gonna take them from Egypt to Canaan and saw it fulfilled. In other words, God prophesied to somewhere around 1.5 million people. Here's the success rate. Two in 1.5 million people actually saw the promise fulfilled. And you're like, bad prophecy. No, unbelieving, fearful people. Here's the problem I see. Joshua and Caleb were not afraid. They were full of faith. In fact, when Joshua and Caleb, they were two of the 10 spies, two of the 12 spies that went into the land. And when the 12 spies came back, 10 of them said, we can't take this. You know, there's giants in the land, da, da. And, and Joshua, and Moses falls on the ground. I love Moses. He's always on the ground. The people are complaining, Moses falls on the ground, and Aaron's like, well, if he's down there, I'm down there. So they're both on the ground weeping. It's really, you should read it. It's better. It's beautiful. And they're both on the ground. And Joshua and Caleb, they're not on the ground. They're standing up. And Joshua says to the people and to Mo, who's on the ground, we saw the giants, but they shall be to us our prey. The actual, in Hebrew, I heard it reads, and they shall be to us our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> Joshua's like, we saw the giants and they shall be to us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. We'll beat them before breakfast. <laughs> but you know, they didn't, they weren't allowed, they didn't encounter the promised land for 40 years. You know why? Because of who they hung out with. They hung out with people who delayed their promise. And what I'm getting, <laughs> I always like this part. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta ditch your friends to find your destiny. Now you're like, well, I, I know I always get really kind letters when I share this, but because I've shared it the last few times. But I've noticed how many times Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Hey, uh, you know what? You know, you, unless you hate your mother, your sister, your brother, you, you can't follow me. 
and I realize that there's a balance in the gospel where Jesus is teaching you should love everybody, God loves everybody, but when it comes to your purpose and destiny, he's like, sometimes you have to ditch the people you're with to actually fulfill your destiny. And I'm not talking about loving people, of course. We should love everyone. We should always have the poor with us. We, you know, we're called, Isaiah 61, to you know, heal the sick and let captives go free and restore the minds of people. Our ministry is one thing, but who we let influence us can determine whether or not we even come into our promised land or do we get there on time. Some of you right now, you're watching by Bethel TV, maybe you're watching by YouTube, and, and you're watching this, and the Lord's bringing people to mind. I believe that the Lord's put people in your mind right now, who they're saying, and God's saying, I, I, I hear this word, these people are keeping you from your purpose and destiny. Sometimes we're more afraid of the people that we have a relationship with than we are with the God that we love. And I tell you, whenever you put somebody in front of God, you make them an idol. Okay. You know, I've said this a few times, but everybody carries metaphorically a, a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline. And the goal is to find people that pour gasoline on the fire of your passion and water on the fire of your fears. But the challenge is, is many people for, pour the gasoline on the fire of your fears. How I many you know, <laughs> some people bring happiness wherever they go, and some people bring happiness whenever they go. Which one do you want to be? You know, on a serious note, we have to pick our friends wisely. When I say friends, I'm talking about the kind of friends Proverbs talks about when he says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'm talking about those kind of friends. I'm talking about the kind of friends that are close to us because friends matter. There was a, there was a, a, a famous um, chaplain who said, show me your friends and I'll show you your destiny. Like how we choose our friends matter. How many times have we said about our children or, or friends' children, they just got in with the wrong crowd. In fact, you know, uh, Paul said in Romans, bad company corrupts good morals. Now, uh, Proverbs says, if you hang out with fools, you'll become a fool. But if you hang out with the wise men, you'll become wise. This is just like common sense. Like, you want to be courageous? Hang out with other courageous people. Wouldn't it be awesome if Bethel became a house of mighty men and mighty women? Wouldn't it be awesome if this is a place of mighty men and, ma and mighty women? I just, ooh, I just get so inspired by my preaching. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, Chris Hill said, you can't conquer what you refuse to confront. And I think that's so true. Uh, I want to give you just a few attributes of courage. I'll do them quickly. Um, courage. What is courage? Courage is what refuses to give up long after everyone's gone home. Sometimes courage is just represented by perseverance. Like, you just don't quit. It's like you don't have anything anyone else has. You don't have more than someone else has. You just, you just keep it in the fire longer. Number two, when people insist they can't change, courage says you're better than that. Number three, courage refuses to take the temperature of the crowd to determine what virtues are in vogue. Number four, courage, courage falls down, but it gets back up, and when it loses a battle, it contends for a victory. Again, perseverance. Number five, courage doesn't cower in the face of public opinion or waver when the world waffles. Number six, when the voice of reason stutters and common sense stammers, courage 
utters a clear clarion call. I think this is like so important right now. We have people saying, this is right, this is right. We don't know what gender we are, da, da, da. And we're all rushing to try to like please everybody. And I'm like, no, courage doesn't do that. Courage stands in the midst of it with love and says, no, this is the way forward. This is the way forward. Listen, it's not time to retreat. It's the time to say, this is the way forward. Number seven, when fear says dim the lights, courage says arise and shine. Number eight, when life leaves the beaten path, courage enjoys the journey. You know, so many of us are going someplace we've never gone before. There are people in here, you just said, hey, I just came to Bethel. I'm like, yes, you did. And we all see that, <laughs> that look in your eye. And it was like, I don't know where I'm going. Abraham and Sarah's first prophetic word wasn't where they were going. God said, leave the, leave the Chaldeans to a place I will show you. They didn't know where they were going. If you were to ask Abraham, hey, where are you going? He didn't know where he's going. He just knew where he couldn't stay. And the only thing that brings you peace when you leave the map is the compass of Jesus. Like he's, when we, I felt like that through COVID. Like you, it, the most uh, unnerving thing about COVID wasn't, well, obviously there was lots of pieces of it, but part of it, the greatest piece was the unpredictability of life. And I, and I felt like the Lord said to me, you don't have to worry about the predictability of life if you understand the predictability of me. And so we have to sometimes leave where we're going and not have our, our, not have our faith in where we're going, but who's leading us. A couple of days ago, I was, I was just praying in, early in the morning and I heard this uh, word, this phrase, league of shadows, league of shadows. And it's like league of shadows. And I, I remember Psalms 23, which is the, First uh, verses of the Bible I've ever memorized. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Yay, though. <laughs> yay, you could tell. <laughs> I'm memorizing King James because, like, it's a very bad translation. Like, nobody ever says yay when you're going through the valley, right? You're like, you're like oh, no, you know, but not yay. <laughs> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shadow of death. Everybody say the shadow of death. I shall not be afraid. Oh, you didn't have to say that part. <laughs> for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me. Listen to this. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wanted to point out two things. The first one is, if you, when you become afraid, you become devil conscious. You could become conspiracy devil conscious. And here's the challenge with that. Did you notice that when he, after he got through the valley of the shadow, that the next season was feasting with the Lord in the presence of the devil? Did you notice that the Lord weaponized feasting? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just pointing out, I know. You're like, yes, you look like you are taking that up pretty well. And I want to say, you can fast if you want, but I know what I'm doing. I'm pointing out that when David was at the, big, the greatest moment of peace in his life, the Lord made the devil watch. And I'm pointing out that if you become fearful, you become devil conscious, all you can think about is the devil while you're eating with the Lord. <laughs> Oftentimes we write worship songs about the devil. And I'm going to beat the devil, and the devil's this, and we're going to, and we are, you know, it's like we write these battle songs, and I'm like, I think we're having a meal with Jesus. Maybe we should be thinking about him. Good point. And the second thing I want to say is, uh, <laughs> you should see your faces right now. 
And the second thing I wanna say is that wherever there's a shadow, there's light. It's just a shadow of death. It's just the enemy whispering like, you're gonna die. But he has no power to bring it about. Fear, false evidence appearing real. I know, I know worry works because everything I've worried about has never happened. That <laughs> was not in the Bible. That was a, not on my notes either. My point is, my point is, is, is the stuff I worry about never happens and the worst stuff in my life that's ever happened, I never worried about. So what the heck are you worrying about? I'm saying the Lord's going to take care of it. Turn to uh, 1 Samuel 17. I want to talk just for a few minutes about David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies in battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Sotol and Aztec in Ephes Damon. It's really interesting. Hang on, let me get my notes here. Um, the word Soko means hedge, and the word Aztec means trench, and Ephes Damon means on the edge of blood. Um, simply put, the setting for David and Goliath is that David was between a rock and a hard place, and it was called the edge of blood. Uh, almost every great victory comes with the risk of death. Like you're actually not going to change the world until you've determined that you might give your life for it. In fact, until you have something to die for, you don't really live. Uh, once you lose the fear of death, listen, if, you, if you're not afraid to die and you can't be bought, you can't be stopped. That's a good word. Okay, let's move on. Verse four. When the champion came out of the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span, he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with scale armor. And it goes on like that. And the reason why I chose these, these verses is because sometimes what we call uh, faith is actually denial. Did you notice that the Bible gives a complete description of the, of the giant, exactly what he's wearing, how big he is, how tall he is, how much armor he has? You know why? Because the Bible is teaching us, if you have faith, you can look at the facts and still have hope. So often what I hear is taunted as faith is actually fear. It's just dressed up in a faith costume. Sometimes fear is, I'm sorry, sometimes Fear is masquerading as wisdom. Uh, people say things like, I'm not going to go to the doctor because I know the Lord's going to heal me. Or you're not going to go to the doctor because you're afraid to find out what's really wrong with you. Have you ever been really broke and you don't want to balance your checkbook? You're like, oh, the Lord's providing. If the Lord's providing, then you should be able to look at your checkbook and be able to understand that God's bigger than your negative account. When Nehemiah inspired the, the leaders of Israel to rebuild the city walls, the first thing he did besides pray was to inspect all the walls and write down, get this, he wrote down every detail of what was wrong. And then he came to the leaders and get, and get this as a faith confession. He came to the leaders and he said, look at the bad situation we are in. <laughs> I'm saying until you can look at your bad situation with hope, 
you don't really have faith. And I'm not trying to give you, I'm not trying to accuse you and say, you really don't have faith. I'm saying you should know you don't have faith so that you can actually get faith for the situation. You can look at it and say, I have hope. You're going to be defeated. I know you're big. I know you got a bronze shield. I know you're bigger than me, but I, I'm going to whip you anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> In uh, verse 8, David, oh, I'm sorry. In verse 8, the giant stands and he, he stood up and he shouted to the ranks of Israel and said, why do you come out and draw to me in battle, Ray? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself who will come down to me. If, I'm, if he's able to fight me and kill me, then we will all be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you should all be our servants. And what I just wanted to point out is this, is that your personal victory becomes a corporate covering. Goliath said, if David, if you beat me, if you beat me, we will all serve you. And my point is this, is that we have to beat the giants that are assigned to us in our time and our destiny. Because if we don't, they're left for our children to take care of. But if we beat the giant that's in our land, do you realize the giant that's in our land is a giant that will be in their land if we don't take this giant out of our land? Like I'm saying that if you don't beat your addiction, if you don't beat your problem, if you don't take care of your anger problem, if you don't take care of your, the issue that's in your land, your children will inherit that thing that was you were supposed to drive out of your land. But if you drive it out, your children will inherit your victory. Are you with me? In verse, uh, let's see, in verse 12, it says, Now David was the son of Ephratite of Bethlehem of Judea, whose name was Jesse. I'm sorry, he was the son of Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judea, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. I, I just wanted to show you something I thought was kind of cool. The name David means beloved. Ephratite means covered. Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesse means I will possess the land. And David was the eighth son, which is the number of new beginnings. My point is, is that there's no way he couldn't lose. <laughs> he was predetermined to be blessed. I'm saying, I'm saying David couldn't lose. <laughs> the, 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 the giant didn't know that David was prophetically the right man for the right time, totally covered, the eighth guy, a new beginning. Are you with me? Like he was actually born to win, and so are you. You were created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. What does that mean? It means God prepared the work, then he prepared you for the work. When you say, oh, I can't handle this. This is too big for me. If God put you there, it's not too big for you because he actually prepared the work. Then he prepared you so you would be fully equipped for every good work in Christ Jesus. You were born to be more than a conqueror. You were born to win. When the devil comes into your park, how many of you know he made a mistake? When, do you know when Jesus uh, was taken into the wilderness for 40 days and fasted and he became hungry and weak? Did you, do you understand what's going on there? Like the Lord weakened Jesus to lure the devil into the wilderness. Not so Jesus would lose, but so the devil would. The Lord's like, you might want to look over here. Look, he looks weak. He looks broken. He baited the devil into a battle, and Jesus went into the wilderness led by the Spirit, and he left the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. 
Sometimes you're really weak and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm having, my days are terrible. When you're weak, he's strong. And sometimes he's baiting your enemy and you're like, I feel so oppressed. No, you're not oppressed. You're in a battle that you were born to win. Do you know that you are not fighting for victory? You're fighting from victory. You can't lose. The battle's already over. When the devil is at your house and God let him get that far, it wasn't to beat you. Oh my gosh. The devil's after me. He kind of be that stupid. He's disarmed and defeated. He has no arms and feet. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, and now I say to you, make disciples of nations. When the enemy comes into your camp, he is delusional. Things people say all the time, like, I'm just having this problem with the devil. You should have a problem with you. I hear crunching bones under your feet. You didn't get that, but anyway, okay. In uh, verse 25, uh, verse 20, I have to, I'm, I'm going to be a few minutes late. In verse 20, it says that David left his baggage with the baggage keeper. What's really a great contrast is that King Saul, the king that's king there, it says that when, when they tried to anoint Saul king in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel, it says he was hiding in his baggage. Isn't it funny that Saul couldn't, Saul is, it, it, um, height-wise, it says that Saul was head and shoulders, taller than everyone in Israel. Who's most qualified in Israel to take on a giant? And by the way, do you know that Saul's father was the most famous warrior in Israel's history before David? He's fully equipped for the giant, but he has no courage. He's hiding in his baggage. David is described as handsome, ruddy, and redheaded. You know what that means? He doesn't look like he's a warrior or a king. But you know what? He left his baggage with the baggage keeper. Listen, you can't beat Goliath if you're going to drag your baggage around. You're going to be like, I went through a divorce. Oh, I had a business failure. Oh, my gosh, I had a nervous breakdown. Oh, you know, it's like, oh, the Lord didn't come through this time. And I'm dragging it around, wondering why I have no courage. I'm like, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind. And that's a guy who murdered Christians. When he said forgetting what lies behind, he wasn't talking like a little business failure. He's like, yeah, I killed a bunch of people. Actually, Paul is... he. <laughs> Paul is actually shepherding people who probably lost family members because of him. And when he said forgetting what lies behind, he meant forgetting what lies behind. Like if Paul would have thought about what he's doing, he could have never did what he did. And I'm like, regret will kill you. Jesus said nobody who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. It's like let it go. Leave your baggage with the baggage keeper. Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what he's done. And then David, in verse 25, he hears the soldiers talking about what the king's going to give the man who beats Goliath, his daughter, tax-free. Not the daughter tax-free. I mean, I think those are, there's a comma there somewhere. And he begins to inquire Three times he inquires, and what's the reward? And what's the reward? And, what? and, and, then, he ends, and then his brother's like, go home, you know, you, you, you little punk. Go play with your sheep. 
I want to make two points. First of all, make sure the, there's a reward. Make sure the reward is worth the battle. Like sometimes we don't have courage because we, we spend all our time fighting with people on Facebook. It siphons off our courage for what we're really supposed to be doing. I stayed up for three hours and I told him. <laughs> yeah, you haven't slept in freaking three hours because you engaged in a battle that has no trophy. No trophy. You won a battle with someone who still doesn't like you. I just put him in purgatory. Poof. Chris Valentin's a cult leader. Poof. Disappeared. This is the best button I've ever had. I feel powerful. And I'm not going to waste my time in a battle that has no trophy. Or honorable mention. Brought home a plastic trophy with honorable mention. What'd you do? I fought on Instagram for four days and I won. <laughs> you didn't win. You're an idiot. How do I know that? Because I've been an idiot many times. <laughs> and you, sometimes you have to fight your brothers before you can fight Goliath. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be done a couple of minutes ago, so I'm going to just read you this part of the battle. 1 Samuel 17, 41. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come out, with me, come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed him, cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. I love this stuff, man. I, don't, I mean, I'm glad I live in the New Covenant, but I like Old Covenant movies. I don't know. <laughs> then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, of the God of the armies of Israel, whom you are taunting. <laughs> this day... This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I will give your dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver with sword and spear but the battles the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. And the next verse says, and David ran to the battlefield. And I just want to point out that if you don't run to the battlefield, you'll be thinking on the way there. And I just wrote this, the longer you avoid the problem, the bigger the monster grows until someday it finally eats you. It's best to beat it while it's a baby monster. And I'm finish with a couple thoughts. The children of Israel stayed out of the promised land. We talked about it for 40 years because of giants. 40 years because of giants. Do you know when they got in the promised land, they never saw a giant for 374 years? And then a boy with a rock killed him? I mean, just think about that for yourself. They were afraid to go into the promised land. And when they finally got all the way into the promised land, they didn't see a giant for freaking 374 years. And then when the giant finally came up, a kid 15 years old kills him with a rock. And my point is, what's keeping you out of your promised land? That's a good word. Stand, I'm going to pray for you. 
People ask me all the time, how are you doing? All the time. It's a natural greeting, right? How are you doing? Uh, I think you're supposed to say, great. But I always say, mostly good. And I'm sure that surprises people. I'm not sure if it's my transparency or the deviation from the standard greeting, like, great. But the truth is, most of the time, I'm personally doing really well on lots of days, even great. But I'm a leader and responsible for thousands of people, all whom I love. I'm also invested in a city that I believe is becoming a model city of extreme blessing, favor, and fun. Furthermore, I'm called to California, which happens to be in a moral freefall. While others are exiting our state in groves, I don't have that option, as, I, as this is my promised land, my Canaan. I was born here. This is where my children were born, my grandchildren, now my great-grandchildren. Besides, I wasn't born to retreat or shrink back in the face of trouble. Cowards do that, and I'm no coward. This is my land, the land of my forefathers and mothers. I will not be driven I won't be driven out by immoral activists or anti-Christ extremists. I'm a settler, a dreamer. I love God, people, and country. If you're watching online, would you just, all of us, can you just put your hand on your chest like this? Because I feel like I'm supposed to impart something to you. I feel like there's, uh, I saw this uh, picture of uh, wild men, wild men, like mighty wild men and women. And I feel like, you know, in Acts, I think it's chapter three or four, where they were, they were preaching the word. The Bible says their commentary was they were preaching the word boldly, but then they got together and they prayed for more courage. And it says, and the place where they were, were at was, was shaken and they all received more boldness. And I feel like where we're going, we need more courage. And I just want to release right now. I want to encourage you. Today was not a teaching, as you can see. It was an exhortation. And the goal of exhortation is not to teach your head something, but to give your heart courage to do it. And Lord, I just release right now over every single person in, the, in our congregation, be it online or in, in, the, in the room. Lord, I just release courage that they would do what they've never done before. And Lord, whenever they're weak, they would know that you are strong and that your strength's actually even perfected when I feel weak. And Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would convince them that they were born for victory, that they were designed to conquer every obstacle that's set in front of them. Lord, I release the strength and the courage and the power to be fully alive and to fully, and to fully, find success in helping other people find success. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.